0: I'm also going to pray, (laughs) Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, that you're in this place and that you deserve all the glory, Lord. Lord, I I pray may um, even this body, this specific body, each one of us, Lord, may this be the posture of our hearts, God, that you would receive the glory that is due to you, Lord. We don't want to hold on to anything that we do not deserve, (laughs) Jesus, We don't want to hold on to 1% of glory, knowingly that it's all yours, Jesus. And this morning we come with that posture, Lord. It's not about us. It's not about our dignity. It's not about our self-awareness. It's not about um, anything we carry with us. It's not about our ambitions. It's not about our dreams. it's, It's not even about our special calling or whatever it is. In the end, all things come down to the same thing, and it's that your Son would be glorified. Be glorified, Jesus, in our midst. We ask you, Lord. We ask you. Amen. Amen. I'm done. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, it's such a privilege for us to be here. My wife um, is there at the back. She's going to our two kiddies there uh, Nathan Ryder and Emma Joy, our two kids. We, I'm actually very Afrikaans. I come from Wellington. Um, Some of you think I'm still from Wellington, but we got promoted to Durbanville. (laughs) So now I'm not sure if I'm Afrikaans or English, because, you know, there's like uh, quite a a mix of the two. Um, But we gave our kids uh, names that you can actually pronounce overseas, because my name is Skulk Hendrik van these days. And those two names, when you travel, I went to Russia in uh, 2016, 2017, and those two words is just two words that cannot be pronounced in Russia, no matter where you go. No one can say Skolka, no one can say hendrik. And they just don't know how to say that. Um, maybe a little story of my, my daughter, um, just her personality. You, some of you would see at the beginning, she walked around here with a pram and sunglasses, like cool, cool girl. Um, the other day we went to a garage and um, they have this display with the garage pies. I think some of you maybe now and again indulge in a garage pie. But there was specifically a burger pie. Now, some of you would know a burger pies these big round pies. And she looks at it and she tells me, Daddy, that's an Afrikaans. That's a skull butt. That's a tortoise. Ne? That's an English. Yeah. And I look at it and well, this tortoise is not in a good condition, my girl. You know, I'm like... Uh, and what she does in that moment is, and this, this is my goal, she goes to the display unit and she puts her hand over the burger pines and she prays for the tortoise. And I thought to myself, in that moment, if God answered that prayer and that burger pie starts moving just there in the display case, I will maybe run away. <laughs> but anyways... Again, such a privilege for us being here. And this morning, I, I do want to speak into the, the direction of, of worship, but I want to start off this morning before I, I actually want to say what I want to say. I do just want to lay this foundation, because in this room, God is busy with, I would almost say the same thing with all of us. He's busy doing the same thing in all of us. And there's some of us that are in a, a good place. Some of us, you're maybe not in such a good place. You're in a difficult spot in your life. But there's a work of the Spirit in our midst, in every heart, in this place that is very intentional. And it, and it is this, that He's forming His Son in each one of us. At this moment, while you're sitting here, He's forming His Son in each one of us. Now, I do, I do just want to look at quickly at two scriptures, just to, to show you what I'm saying is actually biblical, Romans 8 verse 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You see, when God created Adam and Eve, at that moment when he created Adam specifically, he said, let us create him in our image. Now, Adam was created in the image of God. There was something of him accurately reflecting God in that moment before sin came into this world. When sin came into the world, it just distorted that image that God created us in. And we couldn't from that moment reflect him accurately. But there was this word of the work of the cross being finished. There's there's an aspect of as we come to him and we receive forgiveness and we open our hearts and yield to his lordship and to his spirit, we are transformed moment by moment into the image of his son. Why is this important this morning? Why I'm saying this? Because there's one thing of Jesus, if you read through the Gospels, that is just very clear. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus do, uh, did, every miracle, every teaching, whatever, came straight from the Father's heart. He revealed the Father accurately, and in the end, He gave glory to the Father. He gave glory to the Father. And as the Spirit of God is is busy moving in each one of our hearts, He is forming and shaping the image of a Son in us. Why? So that you and I ultimately can walk in the very thing you were called to, and that is to give Him glory. To give Him glory. That is what you were made to do. Before any dream, before any other primary calling, I know there's like, a, there's probably a lot of occupations in here and different journeys and different things. You know, some of us are happy in our jobs, some of us are unhappy. Wherever you find yourself, be know this: that your primary calling is to give Him glory. It's always been that. Isn't it so beautiful just this week? I know it's not Christmas, but for some reason I've been, I've been meditating on, the, on, the, um, on Luke 1, 2, 3, just uh, when Jesus was born. And isn't it interesting if you read through the Gospels, when the shepherds came to him, when the wise men came to him, we know these things from Sunday school, né, most of us, that the first thing they did was the wise men brought gifts. The shepherds came to worship. Isn't that interesting? That worship at the beginning of his life, God would bring these people to him to do what? To glorify him and worship him. Isn't that beautiful? That is just so beautiful. And you are called to do the same. You see, there's a gift that you can give God this morning that I cannot do for you. I can tell you to do it. I can teach into it. I mean, we can... To stand here and, and say, you know, maybe do this or maybe change that or whatever. But in the end, there is worship from your heart. There's a love from your heart to his that I cannot give him in place of you. Only you can do that. There will always be another prophet. There will always be another evangelist. There will always be another elder. There will always, But there's one thing not one of us can do for you. And that is to love God from your heart. You need to know that this morning. He's a gift that you can bring. You know, bringing that gift in your heart to Him. I often sit with people and they will say, I struggle to worship, Skulk. I struggle, you know. It's, I'm, I stand in worship and I don't always feel something. That's, like usually, that's usually the phrase that people use. I don't feel something. I don't, I'm not aware. I don't hear an angel speaking to me, you know, or a... I don't know what people want. You know, I don't see a, a cloud appear above me or whatever. Like I, don't, I don't feel it always. And I want to connect again with this word of the cross that came out here. You see, your worship is dependent on God. I'm going to explain what I'm going to say now. I'm not even on my notes yet, sorry. I, I feel to, to touch on this. I'm going to use this example of my daughter, Emma Joy. Oh, oh, no, I'm going to use my own example. When I was in primary school, I grew up without a dad. It was just me and my mom and my brother. And every year, there was a time, usually a week before, before that specific date, and that was the birthday of my mother. I, as a primary school kid, would go to her and say, Mommy, do you have 50 rand for me? Because um, I need to buy you a present. <laughs> I don't know, of you did that, only me, whatever. My brother and I used to do that. We would go and then uh, we would go to shop. We would always buy slippers. I always say she had like this cupboard full of slippers that she never used. You know, we wrap it up. We're very excited. We bring this gift to her and she obviously always surprised. Oh, you know. <laughs> never expected this. Wow. I think very much that's how worship looks. He first loved us. And that's why you can love him. Your worship is always a response. It's never your good idea. You didn't create worship. You didn't come and say, ha, I'm going to adore you, you know. That is not how it happened. The day he created you, the Bible said that you, as you are sitting here, you're the combination of dust and God's breath. You brought nothing to the party. Okay. It's God's breath that he breathed into dust. From that moment, I love how Oswald Chambers says it. He says, worship is giving the best to God that he first gave to you. You know, we sing it, um, Great Are You, Lord, that song we often sing. and say, It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's a response to that moment when God created you and breathed his breath into you. How can we not from that moment respond as that being created by the creator? Because that's the order of things. Worship becomes impossible when that which is created tries to become like the creator. Or we take our needs and we take it up and we try and bring it up at the same level of the creator. God, why don't you do this for me? I'm not worshiping you because look what I went through. God, this is my dream. I, I um, Sorry, I'm going to go into what I need to say now. Sorry. <laughs> but I, there's, I, I feel like there's a sense of the Lord on this, so I do want to honor it. Um, but there's, there's this thing, I grew up in a, I, not, I, well, I did grow up in this culture, but I actually worked at a public, uh, public high school for six years and very much worked with sports people that were quite um, passionate about sport, rugby specifically, Afrikaans culture. And I worked with these kids, and often they would serve the Lord until they get an injury. God, you took away my dreams and plans. How can you? Like, you know it's my dream to become a springbok one day. It is my dream to do this thing one day. It is my dream to do this one thing one day. I want to ask you, isn't he worthy that even those things we would lay down Even if he doesn't do one thing for you, don't you think he deserves your praise from that moment he created you and breathed his own breath into you? He's worthy of that. He's worthy of that gift that you can give today. That's who he is. His worth will forever sustain our worship. Okay? And this is what I want to speak about. There's a sacred rhythm when it comes to worship. When we see it all through the Bible, I'm going to show it to you this morning. And it's one of beholding and adoring. Beholding and adoring. Beholding and adoring. Look to the person next to you. Say, behold. Oh, no, I want to I hear it. I want to hear it. I, it's maybe not something you guys always do in the congregation. Look at the person next to you. Say, behold. Adore. You're not saying it about yourself. <laughs> Some of the husbands are like, behold. And Adore. <laughs> Anyways, but there's there's a rhythm we see in Scripture. You see, often we can, and and just hear me, the how is very important. I just want to start by saying this. It is important because if you read through Psalms, David was quite practical when it comes to worship. He was a very practical guy. He would say, let's clap our hands. Um, um, Psalm 27 even speaks about giving a sacrifice, a shout of joy. So basically saying a sacrifice is saying, let's shout of joy, but it's going to cost you something, okay? So it's quite a practical thing if you read through the book of Psalms, but we must never disconnect the how from the who. That's what the Pharisees did. They took the how, they took the system, and they tried to, to you know, if you, do, if you follow this law and this tradition and do all these things, then it looks like worship to him, but I want to start with a story, with a scripture that I actually didn't give there at the back. So if you have a Bible with you, this is good exercise for you just to open that cover a little bit, you know. Mark 12, is 41 to 44. Mark 12, verse 41 to 44. Oh, wow. Yeah. you there, AV, wow. Yeah. Yes, sir. Dan, wow. That is like. I am impressed. <laughs> I can just say it and it appears. <clears throat> Mark 12 is 41. I'm, sorry, I'm actually going to start with verse 38. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Verse 38. Wow. Yo, we must actually do like a AV g- games in Josh Jen, you know. See who can like scribe it the quickest, like prophetic songs and everything like that, you know. I mustn't speak about stuff like that. Okay, Mark 12, verse 38. I'm going to read it to you. Here's Jesus. As as he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished. Most severely. Now, that's quite, that's quite a statement. You know, it's like, okay, Lord, wow. And then it goes on, verse 41. Jesus, just after he taught on this, hear this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched. And watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only um, a few Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, "Truly, I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. That is worship. Put in everything. That is worship. You see, here you have the, this almost opposite pictures of the teachers of the law, the Pharisees. They, they knew all the knowledge. They did all the right things. They looked amazing. and You know, uh, uh, their robes, you know, when they walked, their robes would, I don't know, like fly behind them, whatever. They greeted, they did, they did all the right things. They prayed the right prayers. It looked like worship from the outside. And yet Jesus has moved by this widow, okay? So we're we just hearing that she's a widow. We can all make the conclusion she went through a rough time, okay? It's, it's, it wasn't an easy time. She went through a rough time and she put in everything. You see, a religious worship, when we, just, um, when we just have vision of the how, we give out of our wealth and it costs us nothing. But when we have sight of who he is, The only accurate response to, to if we know who he is and, and and we know that Jesus is worthy, the only accurate response is to do what this widow did. Put in everything. Put in everything. You see, the way that we worship often shows us the way that we see him. Even practically here, the way that we worship often shows us the way that we see him. When I use the word worthy, I want you to think of a scale. I don't know whom of you like watching boxing. Only one person, three person, okay. And the rest of you? You don't know no, never and, and nowadays UFC is a thing. I don't watch it at all. I don't know if there's anyone here that watches UFC. Okay. So I know when they weigh <laughs> when they weigh themselves in. There's this old-school scale that they use. I don't know why they don't use digital scales. Uh, I don't know. Um, cost a lot. Battery, charges, whatever. But they climb on that scale, and it basically has a weight. Obviously, it has the weight of the person standing. And then they try to balance that scale out and then determine what is the accurate weight. Okay. It's similar to a food a, a, a the old school food scales. Who still has the old school food scale? You know, but they also used to have a similar thing. And when you speak about the uh, wo- speak about Jesus is worthy, we see it in Revelation four that we see these words: worthy, worthy, worthy. What do we actually mean? Okay, what do we actually mean when we use that word? And the picture that comes to my ma- mind is this type of scale. Now, I want you just for a moment think about this. On the one side, you have Jesus. And then the other side, we need to try and find something that will balance the scale out. So we start off by, you know, my career. I'm going to put it on this side of the scale. I'm going to see if it's going to balance the scale out. Okay, no, it doesn't. My children. My marriage. (laughs) Coffee. (laughs) Coffee. What's other things that's uh, important? (laughs) But whatever it is, you can search all this earth and all of the heavens; you will not find something that will balance out that scale. And that is exactly what it means when we say Jesus is worthy. He is worthy. So I, I said I spoke about the sacred rhythm of beholding and adoring and the way that we worship often reflects whether we see him and I love how David just accurately in a very short verse literally mentioned this in Psalm 145 verse 3 some of you would have heard this maybe but it says great is the lord and greatly To be praised. And it goes on and says, His greatness is unsearchable. Who is the Lord? What is the Lord? Great. What must we do? Isn't that beautiful? We behold him, great are you. Our response, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. The word unsearchable basically means this. I went to the highest heights. I went to the lowest depths. I tried to look everywhere where I can, and I couldn't find it. Literally, someone said about that word unsearchable, it says basically that was a a way, an expression to say he's greater than great. Go. He's greater than great. So his greatness is unsearchable; Great is the Lord, and greatly do be to be praised. I want to take you quickly to Revelation four, verse ten to eleven. Again, you will see the same rhythm looking at him and responding to him. You, you get this picture of heaven, Jesus is um, enthroned on the throne, and you, you see the, the living creatures. I always say, if a living creature had to show up today, I am running, okay I am not standing. I understand. Why they had to always say, don't be afraid. But I don't think that would have worked with me if an angel told me, don't be afraid, you know, and you have five heads and I don't know, whatever. I'm like, it's difficult and I also don't know to what head to speak to, you know, so that's, I overthink some of this stuff. But anyways, um... But verse 10 says, The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And I love this. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they were created and have their being. They literally in heaven. They're seeing Him on His throne they're beholding him, and the response? Worship. They throw down those crowns, that which is precious. Their rewards, they throw down before him. Again, we see that rhythm. And then I want to go, I'm going to end with this. Matthew 26, verse 6 to 18. Are you all still with me? Awesome. Does it still make sense? Dan, you can any time jump in and take the mic and... Weigh me in. <laughs> um, Matthew twenty-six is sixty-sixteen. I know some of you have heard maybe this story quite often, but I, I do want to give you a little bit of context here, because I think there's something here that we often miss. And I want to read it with you. It's it's about a, a woman called Mary of Bethany. And you know the interesting thing is we never read about Mary giving a great sermon. Oh Mary that wrote this awesome book, you know. Or Mary, we don't, we don't read about Mary doing even any miracle. Maybe she did, but I mean, we don't read about it. There's no information about it in the Bible. And you get Mary doing the following. Read with me there from verse 6. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon, the leaper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me and pouring the ointment on my body. She has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told the memory of her. And then I want to go on to verse 14 to 16. This part we usually leave out when we read about Mary, okay? And it's about not necessarily any of your biblical hero called Judas, And verse 14 says, Then one of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. Again you see here two opposites next to one another. You need to understand, Judas went to those chief priests exactly after he witnessed what actually happened here. And uh, I want to give you just... Some a little bit of context regarding what Mary did. And I know some of you have heard this. This is usually what you hear in a sermon. It says that what Mary brought, that perfume that she brought was very expensive. Now, most of you have heard this fact, but it basically equaled to a year of income for her, okay? So she took a year, something that's worth a year of income, and she took that, and she, in one moment... Not over little by little by little by little by little, you know, stretch it out so it can hold for the whole year. In one moment, poof, there it is. Okay. Now, Spike Nerd, Spike Nard, not Nerd, Nard. Sorry, my Afrikaans coming through there. Spike Nard was a perfume that you that actually came from India, and literally what they did is they took this grass and they squeeze it so that juice can come out of it, okay? And then when this juice came out, it was a lengthy process, and it was also very expensive. They literally would dry these juices, and it will form a hard substance that, again, they will take it through a lengthy process, and in the end, they will make this perfume. Now, the fact that this perfume had to travel all the way from India to where they were, plus it took so long to make, made it a very expensive thing to have. and the contrary, you've, it was actually very rare for a normal civilian to have this perfume. It was very rare. It was usually only found in the houses of nobles and kings. So for Mary to have this is quite significant because we need to ask this question, how on earth did she get it? Now, what I also realized, just doing a little research, is there was fake imitations also. Now some of you use fake perfume. Am I correct? Those perfume that smells a little bit like cat pee you know? Your, be- your, your best friend sells it at church afterwards, that, that perfume. I had, a, I had a friend that sold perfume constantly. You know I'm speaking about Jasmine. Um, go pick it up in a dodgy area and then brings it. You know, you just know, oh, what's going on with this perfume? Don't ask questions. Some of those smells I feel like I can produce in my own home, but anyways. (laughs) But they had fake imitations. They did. But the Greek word that was used, very expensive, literally tells us that this was the real deal. Again, how did she got it? And the only Way. We, the only assumption that, that some of the scholars, after they try and look at every angle when they come to you, is they say this. She had to solve many things to get this. She had to go and solve many things. It reminds me of the story where Jesus speaks about the treasure in the field where the merchant would come. And he would see this treasure in the middle of the field. He would discover this treasure in the middle of the field. And, he, and, and it says in his joy as he discovered this, this treasure, he goes and he sells everything to go and buy that field so that he can get the treasure. And it's a similar picture. Mary had to go and sell things to buy the perfume to actually just in one moment. It almost doesn't make sense if you think out of it a logical way. Like try and figure it out. Oh, why would she do that? Why would you sell things and, and use the money that you could have used for your own life and in one moment just lavish it on Jesus? And contrary, even the disciples said, why the waste? I mean, the disciples were following Jesus. Wouldn't they understand? And they said, why the waste? Why the waste? There's the saying, the idea of waste only comes into our Christianity when we underestimate the worth of Jesus. We use the word wasting when we don't understand who Jesus is. You know, there's disciples, they were with Jesus in that room. And there was only one person that responded like Mary, and that was Mary. They didn't see what Mary was seeing. Mary saw Jesus and knew that this was, he was someone precious. She knew that he was worthy. And she did that act, lavished upon him in the the midst of the room where other people were sitting and they were not seeing him. I think that the reality is here this morning that we're a room full of people and some of us are seeing him. And some of us are struggling to see him. But I have good news for you. <laughs> when Jesus speaks about worship in John 4, you don't have to go there. He says that the worship that Jesus desires, okay, the worship that he wants from each one of us, okay, that, like, that uses that word, he desires worship that is in spirit and in truth. And what that basically means is it's by his spirit that the Son is revealed to each one of us. You see, you can try and out of your own strength, you know, and conjure up. But this morning, the answer is actually, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our heart as we see Paul writes in Ephesians 1. To open the eyes of our heart so we can see him and know him. Do you have a secret life of Jesus? Do you study scripture and meditate on him? Do you pray All those things are disciplines that do help us to see Him more. It does. It does. My wife, you can quickly come up. Now we see Judas. And Judas goes and and he asks the chief priest, what will you give me? You see the opposite there. Someone that lavishes everything and Judas comes with the attitude, what do I get out of this? Whom of us approach the Lord like that? Lord, what can I get out of this following you? Are you going to bless my life? Are you going to give me what my heart desires? And sometimes he does that. But I've been in many places where people didn't get what they wanted. And then still he remains worthy. And still he deserves us to put in everything as that widow did. Judas took 30 silver pieces. That's about a quarter of what Mary gave Jesus was only worth 30 silver pieces for him you know what's the beautiful thing of Mary I've, 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 I've just it hit me the other day when Jesus was in the grave Mary the mother and Mary actually also went to the grave they didn't know he was alive She was so devoted that she even went to the grave knowing that most probably, nay, my Savior is dead. Still, she was there. Isn't that beautiful? And obviously, they found him very much alive. So this morning, I do have a sense, actually prophetically, that the Lord wants to open eyes of our hearts. the cost that we pay as that widow as Mary did even as David did as Noah did I can go through all these biblical um, heroes. all of them paid a cost not just for the sake of paying a cost but because Jesus is great and that he's worthy of a cost being paid and just for a moment close your eyes I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit would you show us if there's any area in us, which we're actually, we're holding up higher than what it's supposed to be. Any area in us, Lord, then we almost, you know, we made an idol of it, Lord. If there's any area in us, like Judas, that we, we almost, we, we're holding it by saying, Lord, like, what can you give me? What can I get out of this? Holy Spirit, would you come and show and speak to hearts now? I'm trusting for some of you, maybe you've never heard the voice of the Lord. I, felt, I feel like there's a grace for God to actually just speak to you in this moment, to break through the hardness. Just give and give a minute or two. two things I felt like the Lord wants to to address this morning is self-awareness and dignity. I feel like this is the two things he wants to take on in in this body, this specific body this morning. Like, Lord, what will people think if I step out and worship you and and give everything? You know, Mary was a, a woman in that time. For her to do that wasn't... It wasn't something that was, it was frowned upon quite often. And yet, she went into that room and broke that perfume of him. And I do, I do feel like there's just a call. Some of us are holding our dignity higher than what it's supposed to be this morning. I do think we need to, need to pray and even prophetically step out and act on it. So I want you, if you feel like, oh, Skok, I do care what people think about me. I'm, 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 I'm more about the approval of men than the approval of God. Or if there's something like that, And what I'm going to ask you, maybe it's going to be a lot now, but I do want to ask you to, to come here to the front. I'm very much anti that very thing. And I know the Lord spoke this. <laughs> Dignity, self-awareness. I know the Lord spoke. I'm, I'm, I am 100% sure He spoke. I want to invite you with me, even here in the front, just to come to the front and even maybe just to bow go on your knees or whatever, just to come and lavish on Him and not caring what the people around you are doing. I want to give a moment for you to respond. If you feel like the Lord is prompting you, speaking to you. maybe it's a dignity that comes even from a cultural background I, i don't know what it is but anything that keeps us from giving everything we just need to come and lay down before him so i just i'm gonna i'm still gonna give a minute or two i know this is what he wants for this body this is on his heart for this body. And even as we res- respond, we don't respond towards a call that I'm making, responding towards him. Responding towards him. And I, I feel like if I can go as far as even saying this, that there's specifically an invitation to some of the older folk in our midst. But the Lord is actually just, he's asking this question every time to everyone. I want Are you giving me everything? I want everything. I want everything. Come and yield everything. Bring everything. Yield it down before me. As Jesus was obedient until death on a cross became nothing. So who are we to say that we are something if Jesus was nothing? Bring your something and just pour it out before him. Jesus. Still space for response. I I do believe like there's a zealousness in the Lord's heart. He wants all everything. He doesn't want to share us with anything else doesn't want to give glory to anything he want he doesn't want us to give glory to anything else this morning.